You are listening to The Book of Firsts, a podcast where we flick back through the pages of our guests' lives to uncover three of their most profound first-time experiences. A memorable first they've had, a first they want to have, and a first they wish they'd never had in the first place. I'm your host, Emma Tyndall, podcaster and producer, and this is The Book of Firsts. Today I am joined by baker, badminton seasonaire and the best Florentine biscuit maker I've ever met, the wonderful Peter Sorkins. In 2020, Peter was crowned winner of a popular baking show on Channel 4. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's this little show called The Great British Bake Off and it was kind of a massive huge deal. Having been inspired by the show when he was just 12 years old watching back-to-back episodes on repeat, Peter was not only the first ever Scottish winner, but also the youngest in Bake Off history, bringing home the trophy at just 20 years old. He's also the only person I can sorely admit to losing in a game of badminton to. Peter's laid-back, friendly and precision-oriented demeanour carried him through the 2020 series and lifted the spirits of so many during the midst of the global pandemic. Since winning the show, he has appeared on Good Morning Britain and Good Morning America, released his own cookbook, Peter Bakes, made an ambassador for the Calm charity which tackles mental health, all alongside completing his accounting and finance degree from Edinburgh Uni. Peter is honestly one of the loveliest, kindest and most modest people I have ever met. And it really is such a pleasure to have him on the podcast today. So Peter Sorkins, welcome to the Book of Firsts. Well, uh, thank you, Emma. You're far too kind. That was very, very kind. Um, I'm very excited to be on. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I am so happy to see your face. And I feel like, what it's been, two two years since since yeah. the, the bubble. Um and I feel like you've just flourished. Well, it's it's been it's been a crazy two years. It, it's quite interesting because this is this is the book of first podcast, and I think the last two years has been full of so many firsts for me that have sort of come off from Bake Off, and uh, so many things I never thought would have happened. Um, but it's been it's been a wild ride, and it's nice to see you again after <laughs> all this time. It, it feels like just yesterday that we were in sunny Essex, in that lovely hotel, just <laughs> you working very, very hard, me just baking cakes, you know, on the odd day. Um, I'm pretty which, sure like, you were working harder than I was. I'm going I'm to put it out there. <laughs> it was uh, it was good fun, though. but it's nice, perfect to be doing this, lovely to be doing this. Yeah, and do you know what? That is also why I wanted to have you on, because, you know, you've been on such a roller coaster, as you said, the last two years, experiencing so many things for the first time. Um, so let's just dive straight in. So we always start with uh, your memorable first experience. And I'm so glad you picked this one. What else would you choose? Um, so Peter's memorable moment was obviously winning the Bake Off the day of the final. And before we talk about that, I just want to take it back and ask you if you can remember the first time you ever baked like, is that a distinct memory? The, the first time I ever baked, there isn't a distinct memory for me because mm-hmm. I think it was something that we did from a very young age. There's there's one recipe that I can remember quite vividly being young. I think partly because there's there's a lovely photo of me and my brother and we've made some strawberry shortcake biscuits from uh, a kid's cookbook that we had. And I think I would have been four years old then. 
And so I think that's a bake that sticks in my mind, although there were definitely things before that and, and many, many after that. I'm sure. Yeah. So nostalgic though. Do you think that from a young age, were you told that you were a good baker? Did you believe that you were talented? Because I think like I- I'm from a baking family as well and I'll bake cakes. My mum, she's like, oh, Emma, this is brilliant. This is lovely. This is amazing. You know, everyone always says when you bake a cake, how nice it is, even if it's not really. But <laughs> did you believe in your ability back then? I think it was sort of when it was really when I was like 12 years old that I took it on as this like big proper hobby of mine. You know, actually, the first thing that came to mind there was, did I think that I was a good baker back then, was actually something um, that made me think I was not a good baker at all. (laughs) It was at at primary school, we had, it was something like we were recreating VE Day. I decided that I would make a recipe of the time uh, from from the 1940s. And it turned out terribly. And I heard people (laughs) (laughs) sort of, uh, I heard people in the class who who were trying it sort of saying, this tastes horrible. No, not specifically <laughs> to me, but I overheard them saying that. So I don't think that gave me the biggest confidence. Um, but then later on, once I took it on as a hobby, then there were a few moments where, you know, the the time that sticks out in my head where I thought, oh, wow, I really can bake was when I was probably 15 and we had my my godparents around for, for dinner. That Mum had made a dinner party and I'd done dessert. I'd done this sort of, this James Martin recipe for a mousse cake. It's quite technical, you know, pretty stylish, quite sort of high level. And um, my godparents were quite taken aback and they were like, mm. oh, he really can do that. That's quite impressive. And I remember that being a moment of, yeah, I can, I'm pretty good at this. It's I all right. do this. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's such a warm and fuzzy feeling, isn't it? And I think sometimes we seek that external validation for, especially with something like baking, where you are, the main reason you do it is for somebody else, right? Like, it's not like you go home and bake a cake for yourself. Although I have been known to do that on the occasional sad Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, it must've been such a rewarding feeling. Um, so taking us back then to the final I really want to try and sort of paint the picture because it's a memorable day for you it's a memorable day for me it was probably memorable for everybody working on that shoot you know your name gets called out all of a sudden the heavens open the rain's bucketing down there's tears everyone's like lost it's absolute mayhem I'm holding an umbrella over Becca Cray as she's interviewing you for the final um what from that day stands out to you oh gosh um it's kind of a it's one of those days that I'll never forget but also there was no way that I could take everything in from it and Mm -hmm. and remember it all um the best feeling that I had all day was once we finished the final showstopper challenge and it was put everything down um big applause in the tent everyone sort of just big claps and cheers like sort of the crew knew like you were basically done like obviously there's all the clear down and stuff but like that's the end of lots of hard work for all of the people in the crew for us bakers that was the last time we were baking in the tent and kind of the first time that in this eight-week period we were allowed to take a breath and go oh Mm -hmm. we're done and I don't know we'd, we'd all created such a I think we'd all created such a strong bond and I really loved everyone that was working on the show. So to have that kind of moment of going, we've done it. And for everyone to recognize and celebrate that was was super cool. 
and almost like celebrating the end of an era, um, which is also what I wanted to touch on with this memory, because it wasn't only, you know, the, the first time that you won Bake Off or I mean, the only time realistically you're going to win Bake Off. But as you just said, a moment of almost like a catalyst for breathing a bit more and being more laid back and potentially, I mean, I know in your note to me, you said that sometimes you can be, I mean, in your words, like uptight and a little bit too switched on. And do you think that was a moment where maybe you like became a little bit more free? Yeah, I I, I think so. It's kind of, it's kind of odd what's, what's happened since then, because um, I think it was a really good experience for me to be, uh, you know, away from home with brand new people, um, you know, it was 150 of us or so that were sort of there together. Um, and people that were full of such great energy, actually, um, people that were really excited and energized to be there, who sort of had, uh, it, it, yeah, just an amazing energy that I think I fed off quite well. And sort of it, yeah, it was it was a good step for me to kind of just lean into the experience that I was that I was in. I wasn't worried about other things outside of it. I just mm. got sort of truly engaged and engulfed in it. And yeah, I think I think from that I've sort of taken taken away being sort of more present in moments, being mm. less worried about you know sort of I don't I don't know being less worried about the consequences of some things. Sometimes mm-hmm. I I feel weirdly yeah more sort of carefree what mm. in what i'm doing now at the same time it's also given me this a bit of a you know public sort of personality and, and persona which then has the flip side of of making me occasionally more more anxious about things that i say mm-hmm. and do because then it has more weight on it um but as a person you know with the show i have definitely i have definitely chilled out over these years and sort of become <laughs> a bit more used to I don't know maybe it's something about people watching and you know that you're being judged by 10 million people each week so then you kind of go okay well I'll just I'll just accept it and uh, it doesn't really matter yeah for sure and I think also uh what really interested me in your note was that you said that it was so memorable because it was an achievement that you almost didn't expect to happen and I really want to hone in on this because a lot of the time I think we're told that if you want something, believe it, manifest it. I've been doing a lot of work on self-belief at the moment, and I do believe that it works. You know, that is the one thing that holds you back more than anything is your belief in yourself, right? And I'm curious as to whether you ever thought that you could win, because even though it was a surprise to win, like, did did you have an inkling at all or, or a drive for that? I think... Um... I've never, I've always been someone who has been quite motivated and I set pretty, pretty high, you know, goals to, to reach for. And I've never, I've never sort of limited my challenges. I've always challenged my limits. That was our, that was actually our school motto. Um, so, and I, and I stand by that today. I used to think it was ridiculous when I was at school, but now I'm like, oh, that means so much more to me day by day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm also kind of someone who believes in, you know, manifesting and believing in yourself if you don't believe in yourself then you're never going to do it so every episode on the show I knew that I'd prepped well I I knew that I had skills in baking and I tried to use that as confidence to go into each episode you know when my name was was announced um by Noel at the end I don't think that I had ever actually let myself believe 
that this could happen. I mm-hmm. stepped into everything with as much confidence as I could, and I tried the best that I could, and I knew that I could move on to the next step. But I don't think I'd ever allowed myself to think about the end and sort of the goal at the end. I'd always just taken it step by step. So even though I had believed in myself the whole way, I had never considered that this was a possibility really to mm. actually win the show. Mm. But do you know what's amazing about that is that that's so powerful in itself that you believed that because regardless of whether you won or not, like so many people from that series have done on to do great things. You know, Lottie's got the cookbook, Laura, Dave, they're all doing great things and it's because they all believed in themselves. And so for you, obviously winning was incredible, but that what you just said there about, you know, I prepared, I did everything I could do. I gave it my best shot. And so even if you didn't win, you would probably still be where you are now because you believe in yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I it, Along with that point, I would have been happy with the outcome, mm. even if I didn't win, I think. Obviously, I would have been a little bit disappointed compared to what did happen. But because... I trusted in the prep that I'd done. I, I gave it my best shot. I was sort of enjoyed it going through the process and was confident throughout the process. If it was Dave's name that was read at the end, I think I still would have been happy with what I'd done because I knew that I would have put in, you know, the work that I wanted to put in and and showed what I wanted to show. Yeah. For sure. No, I just think it's really interesting when people talk about goal setting, especially in an environment like that, you know, in TV, when there's already additional pressure of what's everyone going to think? What's like, I couldn't do it. I have no idea how you did it, especially at 20 years old. It honestly baffles me. Um, But on the topic of first, it would be uh, sacrilege not to ask you your first handshake with Paul Hollywood. (laughs) Yes. What 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 was that like? <laughs> it was uh, it's it's one of those things it's bizarre isn't it that you're like oh, it's just someone shaking your hand you know calm down stop <laughs> jumping up and down. But <laughs> it was really cool and for me um well I you know since since the show we do lots of interviews and stuff and I used the you know the term that we did we filmed it in covid so a handshake with anyone meant so much um you know at that time <laughs> You're touching? So oh my was, god <laughs> it, was, it was doubly big you know like a, a high five was just a crazy thing to to consider back then um i i got i only got one handshake through the show and it was in week mm. nine so and it was also for something that i wasn't particularly confident about going in um ermine actually in the in the tent actually taught me how to make my recipe well so i have to Thank her. I, mean, I love her. <laughs> she is she is amazing, and um, and she gave she gave, gave me a handshake um, because she taught me how to do it. That's that's the nice thing about the show. There's so much sharing and, and collaboration in there mm-hmm. as well. Oh, I just love reminiscing on it so much. Would you go back and do it all again? Oh, at one hundred percent. Part of me, I look back on it and I kind of think, how did I do it? Because I just mm-hmm. think about all the, you know, all the work and the time that that we put in, and it was an intense period. You know, filming days are quite pun intended. Long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, definitely not, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> filming days were long, and you know, we were all knackered and full of cake, and sort of we we're we we're all stuck together as well. It was a very intense mm. experience in in all sorts of levels, um, and I kind of look back and go, wow, I'm quite impressed that we all managed it and stayed relevant 
relatively sane and yeah. everyone stayed happy and positive and I just think that's a testament to the how terrific the group was you know the hotel mm. staff the crew the bakers great people were in there which I think helped it be a really fun experience so yeah you know I'd be much more tentative to do it now because I'd understand <laughs> I know that I'd have to sleep for about three months before going into it and sleep for about three months after it um, yeah. but yeah I just had I had a blast so I'd definitely do it again Your next first is a first you want to have. Yeah, so a first that I want to have, um, I thought about this and it's it's moved to a new city by myself. Um, I'm sitting chatting to you in an Edinburgh University building with my Edinburgh University Sports <laughs> Union top on, looking at the beautiful Salisbury crags out of the window to my side. And I love the city of Edinburgh, but this is the only place that I've ever been. Uh, it really feels like home. I want to go somewhere new and I think I want to figure out a place for myself. And mm. obviously I have loads of roots here and connections, which is amazing. And, you know, growing up with my parents taking me around the city, I know it so well and I love the place. But I think to go somewhere by myself to sort of push myself out of that comfort zone, have to make networks new, uh, see new people challenge myself. I think it's something that could spark new creativity in me spark a new sort of drive and passion and also just you know help me to figure out who I am and and what I want to do and just be inspired by a new place Mm. yeah you you wrote that in your notes me you said you wanted to figure things out for yourself and I'm curious as to what that looks like to you what would what would figured out Peter be Mm. okay I probably should have prepared for this because I wrote this in my notes um (laughs) But you I, don't I have don't... to. Some people don't know. Like we're all figuring it out, aren't we? So, yeah, I think there's something about being in an uncomfortable situation uh, and a new situation that forces you to forcing you to figure th- something out can lead to you thinking of new ways of thinking about things and making new decisions. Um, I mean, this is maybe something you've just moved to, to Canada. Can I ask you what, you know, yeah. like sort of why, why did you do that? And because it must be for similar reasons. It is. And you, you raise a really good point there about there, there is something so beautiful about being comfortable, but there is something even more exciting about being incredibly uncomfortable. And the thing for me that it's given me is a freedom to really explore what I want at my core. So I've always said, I want to podcast. I want to be a freelancer. I want to do this full time. And back home, I was so wrapped up in TV and progressing and money and being able to socialize with all of my friends. Whereas here, I don't have that many friends and I can work late nights and shift work and then do my podcast all day and I can afford to do that here and it feels great. And I think that those are the things that back home I potentially wouldn't do because of fear of judgment or um, not my my timetable not fitting in with everyone else around me. Um, so yeah, I definitely understand what you mean about like freedom to do that. And there's that, that's, that's made me think that's, that's really good to hear there's sort of that risk when you've got a good situation where you are, there's that risk of losing the comfort that you have and the good things that you have. Whereas when you go somewhere else, you kind of lose 
the risk of losing something. There's nothing mm-hmm. to lose when when you go out somewhere new. So just taking these opportunities and these chances is something that's that's able to happen without any friction. Totally. And the ability to just say yes to everything. Like since I've been in this city, I don't understand how I've done it. I've been here literally a month. Yeah. One whole month today. And I've got a job and a flat and I've found a gym and I found a group of friends. And I'm like, I did not expect any of that to happen, but it only happened because I said yes. I said yes. When the lady down the road asked me if I wanted to go for dinner and then met her sons and then went to a party and then met their friends. Do you know what I mean? Like you just open yourself up to so many more opportunities. Yeah. And you've, and you've created those opportunities for yourself, which Mm. is a a super cool thing to do as well. You're not, and you creating new networks and it's, it's very exciting. It's something that I really want to do. You know, for me, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. Where, Um, where, where do you think you'd go? London does seem to be calling Mm. quite a lot. I mean, you know, I say sort of having, having this clean break and this fresh start, but also, there's a there's a side to Edinburgh's an amazing city, but it's quite small, and you know lots of people recognise me in the city as well because of because of the show and Edinburgh being a small place. There's kind of like I'm seen quite a lot, mm-hmm. whereas when you're in such a big city such as London, everyone's kind of invisible. Yeah, and I like that idea of kind of being a bit invisible so I can work on my you know crazy dreams without fearing any any judgment mm-hmm. or any people looking on and so it's quite exciting I'd I'd like to be a really tiny tiny fish in in a big pond and just sort of swim my way through and see what can happen I'm just popping a quick note in here as I'm currently sat in the cozy and comfortable home of this season's sponsors first and last coffee This glorious cafe was, ironically, and I'm not just saying this because it's on brand with the podcast, but it was the first coffee shop I ever set foot in when I moved to Toronto. And my God, did it set the bar high. The coffee honestly tastes amazing. The 60s vintage style interior is super quirky and fun, and it takes every ounce of self-control I possess not to pick up one of their delicious breakfast sandwiches every morning on my way to work. If you're around the Annex neighbourhood, then you absolutely need to check them out. Pop in for a coffee, browse the vintage clothes rail, or soak up the sun like I'm doing right now in their little courtyard area. Huge thank you to First and Last again for sponsoring the show. Speaking of, let's get back to it. Our final first that we talk about is the first that you wish you'd never had. And um, normally, you know, this is the one which is it's sometimes tricky to talk about for guests because obviously it's something that you wish you hadn't experienced. Um, and for you, I'm actually really glad that you raised this particular thing that you struggled with because I think that it is such a prevalent feeling, especially amongst teenagers as well. Yeah, it's a good introduction to it. I think when I was looking, when I was thinking through first in preparation for this, I was trying to find something that was maybe a little bit lighthearted. Um, mm. But I'm not particularly regretful and I try and frame things in life. I, I think about framing in life a lot. And, and when I'm framing things, I'm trying to frame them in a positive way. So experiences that I have, I try and pick out the good parts of it because that's what inspires me and motivates me to go on and, and do things in the future. I try and not sort of sit back and think regretfully on, on things that have happened in the past. Um, however, 
sort of a big experience of mine as a teenager was was dealing with anxiety and struggling with that from ages of 14 to 16 it was relatively acute um and you know obviously that's just a situation that if i could have not gone through it yes i would have liked to have not gone through it you know there are some benefits that have stemmed from it um which you know i try and focus on that and i i focus on the positive side but you know sort of it was a tough time so mm. i really would have rather not gone through it and i think my especially my my parents would have rather that i didn't go through it as well how did um if you don't mind me asking how did that anxiety manifest itself in your life because it can take so many different forms and especially you know you're so young 14 to 16 i mean did you know what it was um did you know when you were experiencing it no yeah it's um sort of the, the stage of my life when that happened. Um, my brother had been quite ill for a couple of years and my grandparents had, had passed away around the same time. So my brother was quite ill for sort of four years leading up to this. And this was around when he was sort of getting a bit better as well. So it's something that looking back on, you go, oh, the timeline kind of checks out and it, and it makes a bit of sense. But in the moment, you don't really know what's, what's going on. Um, for me, there were some... Um, physical manifestations, so lots of uh, very reduced energy, which for me, I was playing tons of sport as a kid. It was my absolute favorite thing to do. So I'd miss out on trading sessions and would rarely get up to walk. You know, some days I was struggling to get out of bed, struggling to, to brush my teeth even. So the sort of physical lethargy, um, the mental lethargy of not wanting to do any of these things and um, not wanting to to see friends, not wanting to not wanting to do anything, sort of, mm. um, and then also sort of the worries about going into social scenarios as well, which led it, which fed into the uh, so the worries about going to school to to see people, the worries about chatting to people. Partly in my in my brain, going, I don't want people to see me like this. Mm. Uh, and also partly because it just became an overwhelming burden to to sort of try and be a part of a, a social scenario lots of the time. Um, so that's that's kind of what what it was and how how it manifested in me. And it was it was quite it was relatively debilitating at points, um, and it was really quite difficult. One of the things that you you asked there, did I sort of understand what was going on at the time and I don't think I really did um, because I knew that something was wrong. I knew I felt terrible and I didn't want to feel like, oh, I mean, at some point in it, I kind of just fell into that hole of it was almost comforting to feel this poorly and this, this unwell. Um, but, you know, people were telling me, some people, you know, when I went into the children, adolescents, mental health service camps, um, they were amazing and really helped me through it. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't understand. I thought anxiety was this just sort of feeling that you can just sort of get over. Um, and it took me a long time to understand that, no, I was actually unwell and I deserve to feel better. And it took me a long time to, to figure that out. And I, didn't, I couldn't really quite get better until I'd understood that fact and learned about it. It was sort of in this situation where I thought, I'm just, I'm just a bit anxious is what people are telling me. So I should just be feeling fine. Why am I not feeling fine? And that doesn't help the situation. I had to sort of recognize 
it's okay for me to seeking this help and I need to be helped to get better. Totally. And that is such an eloquent way of putting it, Peter, honestly, because I think that as with so many things in life, mental health is a spectrum. And sometimes you'll wake up and you feel anxious, but that doesn't mean that you have anxiety, right? In the same way that sometimes you'll wake up and have a really bad day, but that doesn't like not want to get out of bed, but that doesn't mean that you're depressed. And I think we've come into this society now where mental health is spoken about so much that people get confused between those two things. And it must be even harder, like going through that so young and not really understanding it. Um, But I think it's also important to pick up on there. and, And I love that you said it in your note as well, that you do try to frame things positively. And you said that there have been benefits taken from suffering with that. So, so what, what are those? I mean, I think the the main one that I think about is I, I say, sometimes I say, I feel lucky to have gone through it at this mm. young age because, you know, as part of the, the process of, of recovery and, and feeling better, a, I've understood that I've gone through this thing. So there's no like point where I could say, oh, I'm fixed. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not fixed. You're not broken and then fixed with this. We, you know, you live with your, your mental health and your whatever state it's in. You live with that every single day. So what it's done, it's taught me that I'm not either broken or fixed. I'm living on this spectrum, as you say. And it's also taught me the tools with which I can sort of improve how I'm feeling and, and make sure that I am in touch with how I'm feeling and keep tabs on that so that I never get to a point of feeling crisis again. Maybe, maybe I will, maybe I won't, but now I know how I can act on it, how, can I, how I can work on it. The fact that I can chat about it openly to sort of keep tabs on it, that I can tell friends about it. Um, and I feel really lucky that I've learned that and that I feel quite in touch with my mental state because that allows me to move forward with it really positively. And I don't, and I wouldn't say that I suffer from anything now because I'm able to, to consider it, take stock when things start to get tough and try to actively improve on it myself. Mm. And it's going to sound corny as hell, but it is that you grow through what you go through, isn't it? Literally to a, to a point. And I think that's where, I mean, obviously the, the podcast that this morphed into, um, like 20 knots, something that was one thing that everybody sort of said to me, it's like, you don't understand how to cope with something until you've done it. And so actually why our adolescence and our youth and our twenties is so tough is because we're faced with all of these things for the first time and we don't know how we're supposed to deal with it. And it's only later on in life when we revisit them, we're like, oh, okay, I now have the tools to help me deal. Um, And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to be able to deal with things when actually maybe we're not supposed to know. And that's, that's the point. Yeah, that is a good point. But then hopefully we can keep learning these things and, and keep them with us over time. I think that's something that I'm, I'm conscious of trying to do. And in these past two years, when I've got a lot more busy, I've recognized that I don't take the time to reflect as much as I used to and sort of take stock of the the life lessons that I'm learning over time. Um, Cause sometimes that's something that just goes out the window. Um, but I think it's important to try and factor that time for 
reflecting on the lessons that we're learning, the things that we're going through for the first time, um, and try and keep these lessons with us as we go. Um, it gets tricky when you get busy, but it's something that's really important to do. We are now moving on to quick fire firsts. This is the game where I ask you about a time when and you have to answer with the first memory or thing that comes into your head. Don't look so scared. It's going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So our first one is a time when you met someone who left an impact on your life. Um, I would say my first badminton coach, uh, Isa. I went to, it was just, my brother was swimming in a club and I had nothing to do on a Sunday night. So there was a badminton club and I went to it. And, um, you know, this was when I was 10 years old and it just started out as playing badminton, but she's one of these people who is so incredibly warm and kind and welcoming. She ran an adults club after, and within that club was people of all different shapes and sizes and, you know, any, you know, different sexual orientations, different races, genders, just everything. And she was the most welcoming person I'd ever seen. And it's everyone could just engage in sport. And she just wanted people to play with sport, have good conversation and get to know each other. And I think that was really special to have someone like that being a role model when I was just 10 years old. Um, And I think that's, that's a special thing about, about sport is that, when it when it's done well it's something that's you know just for everyone and for everyone to engage in and and since that you know it's been someone i've learned great things from and also it's led to me going down this road of enjoying this sport that i i'm so passionate about because it's just fun to play but it's also led to me having the best friends and connections in my life and Mm. so i'm very grateful to isa Oh, I love that. And you're bloody good at it as well. Badminton, I mean. <laughs> We're all right. Okay, so our second quickfire first is a time when you've been in the wrong. Ooh. First thing that comes to mind. I'm terrible under pressure. I need preparation time. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, this, this was just a, a funny, silly little thing in our flat. Uh, my flatmate, Abby, he's, um, his family are from Kerala in India. And um, I was, I don't know what we were, we were chatting about food and me and one other flatmate, Claude, we're, we're sort of the big foodies in the flat. Abby's, Abby's really into his food, but we were trying to convince him that kefir was, I thought it was Indian in, in origin. Um, and we were trying to convince him that it was Indian in origin. <laughs> Definitely is not. I, I think it's Eastern <laughs> European. Um, so, uh, so now we've got this running joke that if we're ever in a supermarket and we see kefir on the shelves. Uh, we take a picture and uh, and send it into send the, it to- the flat group chat and go, oh, this traditional Indian kefir I saw in the <laughs> shots today. Was definitely wrong about that. Yeah. That's such a good one. I like that. <laughs> okay, and our final one. Oh, this ties in very well for you, um, for what we've been talking about. But a time you felt confident. I think, uh, yeah, maybe... Um, I'm not. I'm not going to go to to baking or anything. But I was in. I was in the boys' brigade growing up, um, and I, I went. To, I've always gone to church. Um, been a big part of my life, and I went to boys' brigade, and I do readings in church, which I think really helped with my 
sort of confidence and speaking and, and public engagements, which is really good. Um, but at sort of the Boys Brigade National, we we would march around Edinburgh and do parade outside St. Giles when they had a big function on. And I had to do a big reading in, in one of the churches around Edinburgh when it was sort of all the Scottish boys together. And it didn't phase me. And I think that's quite a cool thing when you're 13, 14 years old to to feel confident in speaking mm-hmm. to a room of 200 of your peers that you don't know. Um, so I think that's that's kind of cool. And I'm, I'm glad for the confidence that that's built up in me, that experience. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Great answer. See, you're a pro at this. You don't need any prep time. <laughs> there we go. There you go. Oh, Peter, thank you so much. You've honestly been the best first ever book of first guests firstly secondly just like the most loveliest person to talk to and it's been so wonderful catching up thank you is it honestly it's been an absolute delight so thank you so much it's uh been a great time and i love that we get to sort of think through these fun fun past moments and also some some deep reflection as well thanks so much definitely no no worries um what have you got coming up so, I mean, coming up, I actually have a new cookbook coming out in October. So I'll get a wee pluggy plug in there. It's, it's called Peter's Baking Party, and it's a kid's baking book. And so it's, it's moving on from Peter Bakes was my first book, and that was just sort of everything I love to bake. But this one, it's, it's trying to just excite and inspire kids to get baking in the kitchen because it's something that taught me so much as a kid and that I absolutely loved. And um, so hopefully it'll get loads of kids baking, uh, get loads of kids excited about going into the kitchen. And that's out on October 13th. October 13th. Oh, that's, do you know what? That is such a good niche as well. Cause I remember um, when your cookbook came out, you had the, the little bites section, didn't you? For, for kids. Um, and obviously you having grown up baking. Oh, oh, that's so lovely. That's so nice yeah so I'm, I'm excited for it yeah so it's university badminton and book and that's that's uh what the next few months have got for me so it's going to be a good one awesome well best of luck with that um i will definitely be ordering a copy for my nephews back in the uk and um thank you so much again thank you so much good luck for the rest of the pod 